0: hey changemakers welcome back to the engage for good podcast i'm your host Allie murphy this is the final episode of our three-part leadership series where we bring you insights tips and stories from three social impact leaders who have made their mark in the business and nonprofit sectors. First up, we had Artis Stevens, president and CEO of Big Brothers Big Sisters of America. Next was Kevin Martinez, VP of Corporate Citizenship at ESPN. And last but certainly not least, today we've got Julie Breckenkamp, vice president of National Strategic Partnerships at CMN Hospitals. Each of these leaders offers their advice, shares mistakes they've made, discusses how they take care of their well being and support their teams, and what's on the horizon in our field. In today's episode, I'm joined by Julie Breckenkamp. She focuses on strategic direction with her team and partners to deliver over $200 million in corporate fundraising yearly to 170 Children's Miracle Network hospitals in the US and Canada. With over 18 years of corporate fundraising experience, Julie is an expert in fundraising growth, strategy, corporate social responsibility, and event management. She has created best practices in maximizing partnerships and has grown corporate fundraising at CMN hospitals each year. She specializes in understanding her partner's business needs and creating growth opportunities to complement their business goals. This episode is packed with valuable insights and tips for anyone interested in leadership and social impact. In today's episode, we'll explore lessons Julie learned along her leadership journey, how she focuses on her well being, the value of watching, listening, and learning as a leader, the Enneagram and how she gets to know her team, the trends CSR and social impact pros should be paying attention to, her advice for those looking to grow in their careers what she'll talk about at EFG 2023 in Atlanta this May, come join us, and so much more. And with that, let's get started. This episode is brought to you by CMN Hospitals. Hey, Julie, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Ali How you doing? I am doing pretty well. It is a sunny day outside, and I'm kind of waiting for it to snow, but I don't think that's going to happen right now. So we'll see.
1: I'm over the snow. I'm ready for it to be summer. I'm a summer person.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I like summer too. We'll get there eventually, but I got to get my skiing in while I can do it. There you go. We are all more than what we do for work. So tell us a little bit about the personal and professional journey that led you to become the VP of National Strategic Partnerships at CMN Hospitals. So it's a little crazy.
1: I I am from a small town 45 minutes west of St. Louis. I claim St. Louis because when I say Washington, Missouri, they go, "Where is that?" you know. So um I took my first job at the Rock and Roll Radio Station in St. Louis, KC95, and that's because I did an internship there. Okay. And that was the small town girl going This might be a fun summer. So I majored in broadcasting. I was going to be a a news anchor, uh, minored in journalism, and never did anything in the TV space at all. So... (laughs) Um, you know, and, and I'm in, I'm in the nonprofit world, which again is not what I, I majored in, but, um, all that to say, I started at KC and then I went into my first leadership position on my next job at, at a country station, WIL, which is a big, I
0: love country music. Continue.
1: Love, love the country artists. It was great. But then I kept moving West, um, because I wanted to get a little closer to home, um, started having kids and I, I did marketing and promotions for Six Flags St. Louis, so um got a little bit of a the marketing bug there. And um after I had my second child, I owned my own marketing company for nine years. So I did freelance, um, advertising, promotions, public relations, whatever, whatever people needed me to do. And, and that's that was really great for, you know, when my kids were young and at home and growing up. And then I wanted to get back into um, the office space. I kind of missed people. Um, and so I started at CMN St. Louis. One of my good friends, um, Maria Langston, was working there. We worked in radio together and she said, hey, we've got an opening. You want to come work here? And I like, wow, yeah, nonprofit, we'll give it a whirl. And so CMN St. Louis, is um, they've got an office that services, both St. Louis Children's Hospital and SSM Cardinal Glennon. We've got two children's hospitals in St. Louis. So I did that for eight years. Um, A lot of development work there until I made the leap to the national office as an account director and um, have worked my way up uh, to being the vice president of the strategic partnership team.
0: I love hearing the backstory on how people got to where they are. And I feel like For 99% of the people that I talk to and probably 99% of listeners, it's not necessarily a linear path. Like we go one direction, we might go somewhere else, we might come back. And I think that's part of being human and figuring out what we're doing at work.
1: It's crazy, isn't it? I mean, so many people are like, yeah, I didn't get a degree, but here's what I'm doing now. But, you know, the path gets you to, to, you know, what makes you happy. And that's what I think is most important.
0: Okay, so we're going to transition from happy to making mistakes, which at least in the moment probably don't make you happy, but we all make mistakes. We all learn lessons along the way. What is one of your favorite mistakes or lessons learned, and what did you learn from it that you still apply today? You know, I
1: thought about this um, question for a while, and I thought, you know, I... I, yeah, nobody wants to admit mistakes. Nobody nope. wants to to talk about... <laughs> They're a
0: part of life, though.
1: It's life. And, and you know, we learn from our mistakes. And, you know, my, I think my biggest learning um, is it, early on at WIL, when I was in a leadership position, um, I learned not to try to change everything on the first day. I, mm. I, I had guns a blazing and wanted to to do everything like we did at the other radio station. And... You know, things aren't always in such a bad state, and you don't always have to take an immediate action. So, I really learned to take some time and understand what's happening on my team and my surroundings. And our um, former CEO, um, he, um, John Locke, who was a huge, um, he 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 taught us a lot in the leadership space. He also taught us you can't fix everything, and he he gave us a term called, um not my monkey, you know, you don't have to fix it like that. you don't have to take on every problem. and so I think really, you know, I learned a lot and I, it, early on, just you don't have to fix it all right away. you know listen, listen to your surroundings and and try to understand better before you you make those changes.
0: I think that is such a an important piece. It's reminding me of a conversation I had with Carly South from. Carly South, Carly Stevens from Gas South. There we go. That's correct. Um, and talks a lot. She talks a lot about how you might want to come in and change something. But like you said, you've got to take a minute to, or more than a minute, to reflect and say, okay, I'm going to learn things first. How do these things flow? And then she also talks about recognizing that whatever was put in place to get to that point was probably the right thing at one point in time. So you yeah. want to honor what was done and then move forward from there. That correct. was the connection in my brain. Correct. Yep. I agree. Okay, so one of the biggest challenges our community faces is gaining leadership buy-in. It's a topic that comes up all the time on the podcast, in our membership groups, on the corporate side, on the nonprofit side. How would you advise listeners to do this, to gain buy-in? And was it the model that you followed before you rose through the ranks? Actually, it
1: wasn't. So gain. Gaining leadership buy-in is really something that we've developed at CMN hospitals and we really look at that top-down approach. Um, we have found uh, over the last probably five or six years that we were we were missing the mark because we were only reaching out to that leadership right before the campaign and thanking them right after the campaign. Mm. And so we developed a stewardship year-round plan for leadership for our corporate partners. And really depending on how they're set up, you know, if the district managers, area managers, et cetera, um, I work with partner leadership as do my account directors. Our market directors work with the field leadership. Our hospitals work with the store leadership in the front end. And we just really focus on relationships and year round relationships, not just one and done. You know, we're, we're so fortunately blessed at CMN Hospitals to have um, partners have been around for 20, 30 years. And, you know, that's not really the common um, denominator for a lot of, of nonprofits. So um, we we stored year round. We talk to them year-round, we reach out to them year-round, and we develop relationships.
0: What are some of the ways that you, maybe that you check in year-round, or what are some of those milestones along the way? Can you give, give an example to bring the idea to life?
1: Yeah, we, so we do um, seasonal check-ins, you know, happy holidays, you know, happy Halloween. Um, but we also like to share some stats of, you know, what's going on in our hospitals. We have quarterly themes that our, our amazing comms team puts together. Um, And so we, we like to share the, one of the most recent ones was, you know, uh, you know, food insecurities. And so we like to share what's going on in our hospitals in these different buckets. And so just continuing to educate them year round on what's going on in our hospitals, sharing miracle stories of these amazing children that, um, that have CMN hospitals support, and so um, just kind of look at each month differently, and say, you know, here here's the opportunity to reach out, and we we don't cookie cut. You know, messages, emails or things like that. But we say, you know, here's the message. Here's, here's what we, we'd like to talk about. And then we let them have the relationship and, and do the outreach, you know, it might be just taking them to lunch, you know, if the, the market directors or the hospitals and then always stewarding, you know, at the end of the campaign and at the end of the year, you know, recognizing them for all the great work they've done all year round.
0: Okay, so speaking about the end of the year, let's go forward to what is happening? What are some of the big things on your horizon in the coming year? Well, my team
1: is focusing in three areas this year. We we got together and we talked about what would be the biggest three focuses for um, our national partners. And we narrowed it down to three areas. So we have people, events, and data. and okay people really refers to what we just talked about, those relationships with the key corporate partners and contacts, regional and local. Um, they're the core of our fundraising and they, you know, drive engagement and ROI. So really, how do we focus on people year round? And then our national partners have these amazing events. You know, we all know, you know, there's golf events, but there's also, you know, wine auctions. And, you know, we just finished the Ace Hardware Shootout. We have conventions. So we, we're we focusing on driving additional fundraising and partner engagement at events. We want to provide Ass- assets, meaningful experiences, champion involvement, and just resources to engage at these local events. And then finally, we want to improve our data. Um, our corporate partner locations and fundraising data management hierarchies, um, local Um, contact information, campaign details, really just looking at the full scope of data and structures and looking at how we can most efficiently use data with our, our national partners.
0: Okay, so I'm curious about the events one. If we back up a little bit, you talked about driving additional engagement and additional fundraising. What are some of the things that you're doing maybe differently this year to help reach that goal?
1: Yeah, you bet. So, for some of these uh, events that we have for our partners when they have conventions, we put a, we put a booth together, and we show them really kind of the the journey of you know the different buckets of where funds go in our national, um, in our in our local hospitals, and so we really just to engage in the, the cause and help them better understand you know, let's say a Remax miracle agent at R4, which is our convention that's coming up, you know, becoming a miracle agent, you know, what what does that do for you? And, you know, what's the marketing value, but also how can you make a difference? So we try to, um, it, it's really experiential marketing so that we can, you know, they come to the booth and they can experience maybe pet therapy or they can experience the superheroes that are at the local hospital and really just kind of, feel like they're in that hospital and they're they can see, you know, some of the benefits of supporting their local CMN hospital.
0: I think that's such a good point of experiential marketing. It makes me think of a a picture's worth a thousand words. Obviously not the same thing, but when you get to experience a taste of something as opposed to just hear about it, you're going to be a lot closer to that issue.
1: Oh yeah, I I always say, you know, a tour. A tour is what really just moves somebody to want to make that that partnership grow and you know if we can't get them on a tour or they you know they, they're they at this convention let's let's give them that type of a tour that experiential type of event so they feel like um yeah I want to go home and I want to I want to support my local CMN hospital
0: so you had three buckets one of the other buckets you talked about was data and I think but correct me if I'm wrong that that relates a little bit to what you're going to talk about at Engage for Good 2023 in May one is that right and two would you give us a little bit of a teaser about your session
1: Yeah, I will be talking with my colleague, Sarah Waters, about um, Point of Sale fundraising strategies. Um, We're going to share some data that we've collected. And uh, this all started with um, another colleague, Maureen Carlson. She gave a little sneak peek last year at Engage for Good on Mm -hmm. And we we really are going to dive deeper into all of that data and that the research that we've done. So we're going to talk about, you know, shopping in stores is still the most common way consumers purchase. Um, people think, oh, we have to go online, we have to go omnichannel. That's not wrong, but people are still walking in the door and and that, that that's not gone away. Um, we're going to talk about customer customer sentiment, about um, being asked at point of sale, how do they feel? about being asked at point of sale and how do they prefer to be asked? Do they, you know, do they wanna be asked for a dollar? Do they wanna be asked to round up? You know, do they wanna make their choice? And, you know, so we're, we're gonna really talk about, you know, some of the data and then maybe, you know, give a little bit of the, you know, the top 10 strategies that we use, the top corporate fundraising um, nonprofit, just, just to share some of our secrets. Cause we firmly believe sharing those secrets is is the way to raising more money all the way around.
0: And I think it's so important to share the different components because what works for one organization might not for somebody else necessarily, but by being exposed to those different ideas, then you can start thinking of different ways to try things out. You
1: bet. Yeah, and, and I I know that... You'd like to say, here are the 10 things to do and you will have success, but- you have That'd to, be nice. Yeah, yeah, but every <laughs> partner is different. Every campaign is different, every event is different. And so we have to look at everything, you know, with with a different lens and and see what best works for that
0: partner and for their business goals. Okay, so I wanna talk about challenges. Can you share a specific example of a challenge you faced as a leader and how you overcame it? You bet, I think- I'd love to stop saying the word COVID,
1: but (laughs) (laughs) wouldn't we all? I think one day we'll be able to stop referencing the COVID period. But I think for me, as as a leader at um, CMN Hospitals, COVID was one of the most challenging periods of time I've ever been through. Um, We really had to pause and think how is this affecting our corporate partners and how is this affecting their business? And we knew it was going to affect fundraising. Not many people can say it didn't, but we, we went to them and and we took a leap of faith and we we said, you know, we know your business is going through a rough time, but we're going to be here when you're ready to raise funds again. We're, we're here to help you and we're here to support you. And then we listened to their business challenges and everybody's business changed a little bit post COVID. And, you know, some of our QSR partners didn't open their, um, lobbies for months and months. And so we had to adjust with them. So we got on the phone on Zoom. You know, we all became Zoom professionals. So.
0: <laughs> yes, I, re- I definitely remember that time.
1: Yeah, we, but we got on the phone and we said, you know, help us help us understand how your business has changed, you know, and then let us adjust our fundraising to help your business. And we did not lose a single partner during COVID. And it's something I'm really, really proud of. You know, our team at seaman Hospitals really you know listened heard and and came back and said you know when you're ready we're going to be ready and so we'll 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 partner with you again and you know we're getting back to those 2019 numbers that that's our goal but it's it's taken a while you know and you know fundraising has changed as we all know but it's that was definitely um one of my biggest challenges as a leader
0: absolutely i think correct me if I'm wrong, I think it might have been Maureen that came on the podcast and talked a little bit about that and what you did as a result. So I'll link that in the show notes. But can you share an example of after asking how has your business changed, what's one way that maybe you changed fundraising to meet those needs? Sure. When we
1: um, talked to some of our QSR partners who hadn't opened their lobbies, they said drive through you know, we're going through drive through and, and our drive-thrus are packed and that hadn't really been a focus for us so we talked about how can we adjust to fundraising in the drive through point of sale signage how do we you know show our partnership um how do we show up with those front end folks that are just so exhausted you know right, right after that came the employment shortage you mm-hmm. know and and so we just had to to really think about how we work with those partners differently. And and that was one of one of the biggest things we talked about with both of those partners uh, that we work with in the QSR space.
0: Okay. So I'm gonna transition again. There's so many topics that I could dive into for a while, but I'm trying to keep myself on track. Right. Okay. So your role I feel like is an exciting one and probably a challenging one too. We talked about COVID already. How do you prioritize your well being and take care of yourself so that you can keep moving this important work forward? For me personally,
1: um I block my calendar every morning for my well being. I work out every day just so I can focus on my health.
0: Um, mm-hmm. you
1: know, because that's that time where I can just zone out and, and lift weights or, you know, treadmill or or whatnot. But then the mental side of the job can be frustrating sometimes and I have to ground myself by, you know, thinking about the kids we're helping. When we move to the national office, I, I don't get the exposure like I did at the local level. You know, we right. work with kids a lot more. And so I try to have those moments. We have, you know, 10 amazing national champions. Um, and I try to have those moments with the kids to help keep me grounded and, you and remember the why, you know, with, with my three kids, I, when I worked locally, I used to bring them to events and introduce them to these amazing kiddos and, and say, you know, let me show you what a real problem is. And, and I have to remember that and think back to, you know, all these amazing families that I'm still friends with today, but also try to, you know, get in the hospitals, take those tours, um, and, and talk to these families. And I, you know, not just the Miracle Kids, but their their siblings. I am always have a right. spot in my heart for those siblings. And, and really using that as my inspiration.
0: I love that. Obviously, my work is not the same as yours. I don't have hospitals to go into. But there are times, especially in kind of crunch season around conference, that my brain could go different directions. And instead, it's like how many people get to sit in this ballroom and get to learn something? Or who do I get to meet? And then the connections that you hear about that get made that might get nurtured or first introduced at conference. And then two years later, you hear about this partnership that happened because they met at Engage for Good. So reminding myself of those those pieces and whatever it is for listeners of who is that end person that you're impacting, I think can be so powerful.
1: Absolutely. And just really thinking about are making a difference. We're all making a difference, you know, and and that helps keep you grounded because sometimes the all of the craziness of fundraising can, and and you think fundraising shouldn't be that difficult, but you know, <laughs> it, it, we we all have to pivot and adjust. And I think I think there there's just that mental piece of it that we we can't forget. Just keep ourselves grounded.
0: I love that you took both the physical and the mental because they go hand in hand. But. Okay, so coming out of the pandemic, we've seen a huge shift in taking care of employees and what Americans expect from organizations. So, for example, 44% of a company's total score on the Just 100 is made up of employee-related issues like paying a living wage and work-life harmony. Obviously, you work for a nonprofit, and you wouldn't be on that list. But I'm curious, how do you create an environment where your team can show up as their best selves?
1: We really leaned into the Enneagram at CMN Hospital.
0: Oh, Okay. Are you familiar with that? I am. I'm a one wing too. I've heard about Enneagrams in the workplace, but I feel like more often you hear about strength finders or DISC or something like that. Well, okay. Enneagram, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, we we worked with
1: Cindy Martini um, on Enneagram as a leadership group, and then we really worked as leaders to to share Enneagram with our our own team and our own staff. And you know, it took me a minute because I'm a Challenger. I'm an eight, okay. um, and I'm not just a little eight. I'm, I'm a hard eight, like. <laughs> <laughs> um, and and what what it did was really help you think about who you're talking to. And, you know, if you're talking to a a two, a helper, um, you, you might have a different type of a conversation than if you're talking to a three, an achiever. So understanding what they are, you know, whoever you're working with might be your coworkers might be, you know, my other, um, colleagues or my employees, um, really working with them based on Enneagram, you know, checking in, you know, how are you feeling? Doing some mood checks. And then, you know, I might work with one employee um, of mine who is, you know, he's a he's a nine. He's a peacemaker. And and so we have very, very different conversation than my enthusiast employees. So it it just it it really helps me think and pause and again mentally think about, you know, How do we have this conversation in a different way and maybe also help them a little bit with, you know, where they are on the Enneagram and how do they have those crucial conversations? So um, it it was a really great thing that um, our leadership, our executive team, you know, Terry Nestel and Clark and Francis brought to us and, and we were able to share that with all of our employees.
0: I love that. Yeah, I've never heard. Uh, I mean, I've heard of peripherally people using Enneagram at work, but never a direct example. So thank you for sharing that. But yeah, listeners, I highly recommend you check that out. The DISC, Strength Finders, there's a variety of different ways depending on what your goals are. Mm-hmm. Okay, so coming back to kind of more hard CSR and social impact instead of just the team piece, what trends should listeners be paying attention to?
1: Quite a few. So I'll, I'll try to... okay bullet them, uh, not, not go too deep. Um, I, I really think the trends as we move into 2023 are, um, first is social. Um, everybody's active on social media. You know, we've got TikTok now and social networking and Facebook is still, you know, that most used platform out there. So social is, is a big, big trend for me. Um, value, um, consumers and employees, you know, Social good. What's important to your consumers? What's important to your employees? We talk about that a lot with our national partners. You know, how can our partnership help you gain employees, and how can our partnership help you with your customers? You know, as you talk about the social good that you're doing, and then another big area that I think is is going to be a focus is on sustainability. Um, You know, business owners can expect you know that uptick in sustainability efforts moving forward. employee volunteerism. People are getting back out there. Yeah. Um, Isn't it exciting? Is And our partners are so excited for that. You know, we want to get them in the hospital. We want to get those volunteer hours. We want to connect them to the kids and what they can do in the hospital. So uh, it's happening again. It's coming back and I'm super excited about it. And then um, I think the last one I would talk about is just measuring CSR impact. You know, it's an important trend. We've been doing it for several years, but we, we're going to dig a little deeper into that. You know, there's so many metrics out there, and you know, how do we talk about you know corporate social responsibility to to our partners? You know, they they want to be able to go back and talk to their shareholders about what's going on and what they're doing. So we have to measure what we're doing what our hospitals doing and share it back with our partners so really the measurement piece i think will be the, was the, the last one i would share
0: I'm so glad you brought that one up because that's another one in addition to gaining leadership buy-in that comes up a lot on the podcast. And some, some organizations have figured it out really well. Others are kind of in this figuring it out stage. And we are going to have a session at conference around measuring and especially ESG and how do you how do you unpack that, whether you're on the corporate side, the nonprofit side, what does that mean for your partners and how do you move forward? So that's going to be an interesting discussion, I think, in the well, definitely in the couple months ahead if you join us at Engage for Good, but in the years ahead as well. I
1: agree. I think ESG is an area that every partner looks at maybe a little bit differently. Mm -hmm. You know, how do you fit into the ESG goals of these, of these corporate partners? And so um, I I saw that on your, your list and I'm super excited to hear that one.
0: I am too. So I'm going to see if I can get myself into that room instead of running around doing other things (laughs) during that time. We'll see. We'll see. Yep. Okay. So knowing what you know now as this current version of Julie What three pieces of advice would you give your former self related to making it into a leadership position?
1: One piece of advice that I think has just been in the last couple of years for me is watch, listen, and learn. Um, You don't always say something. Keeping your mouth shut, staying silent, listening, um... One of my friends said to me one day, closed mouth, wise mind. And I was like, oh, oh, I haven't heard that one. Put that one on a post-it. You know, really learning uh, is, is not. Not a bad thing as a leader, you know just watch hear what other people are saying um and listen give genuine attention to what people tell you um you don't have to take action on what they tell you um on every little compliment or complaint that they say but just hearing somebody is is such an important leadership quality
0: mm-hmm. and, I love that one um getting to know your team
1: you know le- like I said earlier, learn where they are on the Enneagram. these are the people that help you succeed. I have the most amazing team um, that I I get accused of being a mama bear for my team and I'm (laughs) proud of that. Um, They, they're uh, just, they work so hard. And at the end of the day, they get that job done no matter what it takes. And so, you know, really don't, when you meet your team for the first time, you might develop a first impression and, and pause on that, you know, be careful about acting on first impressions. And um, people don't always have their best foot forward when they meet you. So think about mm-hmm. think about who you're talking to, you know, think about um, you know, what what they could be and and how can you mentor them. And then finally, I wanted to share a quote that um okay. really resonated with me um, because I think it's important to share that leaders are not responsible for the results. Leaders are responsible for the people who are responsible for the results. And the best way to performance in organization is to create an environment in which information can flow freely, mistakes can be highlighted, and help can be offered and received. So I, I just, I think really being a good leader is the people, the people you surround yourself with. The teams, we work with the teaming model at CMN Hospitals, your direct employees, but just, you know, those are the people that are responsible for, for the results. And I always like to say, you know, I have a fantastic team because they make me look so good, you know. <laughs> so um, that, that's one of the big, big things I would share is just really think, think about those people around you and surround yourself with good people.
0: Okay, so you said the teaming model. Mm-hmm. I'm curious, what is this?
1: Yeah, yeah. So we work in a teaming model um, where, you know, we have the account director, we have a marketing person, somebody from the services side. So we we talk about what is called a value stream. Um, we talk about, you know, what, what the campaign, you know, the components and, and then the team works together to uh, put together the campaign. And it's... It's an interesting um, model because, you know, everybody has teams, everybody has different departments. But for us at CMN, we think it's important that the whole team feels ownership of that partnership and that campaign. And, you know, we have amazing marketing specialists. We have a great comms team. Um, we, we have different departments that we we work with. You know, we've got the Play Yellow Partnership for Golf and um, Extra Life and Dance Marathon. So really, for me, it's working um, with my colleagues, working on strategy with my colleagues, and then um, my team working with, the, you know, their teaming group to grow their partnerships.
0: I like this. Okay, I'm going to link to, I will probably find an article on teaming and like link to it in the comments as well. Not the comments, the show notes. What is one of the most important attributes that you think today's generation of leaders needs? I would say number one for me, Ali, is accountability. Um, mm. and,
1: you know, accountable for, for what you are responsible for and owning it. Um, collaboration, like I said, with the teaming model, it's important to work with others, work well with others to achieve your goals. Um growth mindset, you got to always be looking for that next opportunity. Um ability to ma- manage in a remote basis. Most of my team is yep. most of my team is on Zoom. Um how do you manage in a remote basis and how do you lead more quickly these days? Um I love to focus on developing others. You know, what are your goals? You know, how can I help you get there? And then encourage strategic thinking, innovation, um, and then really be practice that communication, that cross-cultural communication. So, um, but for me, the biggest one is accountability and collaboration.
0: I like those. And accountability, collaboration, not quite as much. Well, actually, yes, but accountability for sure. You can't have accountability if you don't have clear roles and know what is expected of you. So I feel like that's got to be step one and then accountability from there. And not everybody has that, which no. I think is everybody would be great if everybody did. <laughs> I agree. hmm. OK, so I have a different question for you that you didn't get ahead of time, but I'm curious, what are you most proud of in your career journey thus far? Oh, wow. That's a great question. Um
1: I would say my team, my my national strategy. Sensing
0: team. a theme here,
1: yeah. I, the mama bear is coming out in me. <laughs> I, I just I love how hard they work, and it, not just for their partners, but with each other. And mm-hmm. something I've been super proud of, and I keep telling them, you guys, you guys make me so proud because they're not just amazing account directors; they're great coworkers. And if I give somebody you know, some sort of advice or plan, they're usually said, oh yeah, I already heard that from her or him. And, you know, we we already talked about it or I ran it past, you know, one of, one of my colleagues. They, my team is so incredibly tight and incredibly close. They make fun of me because we have a meeting every Monday for a couple of hours and they're like, oh, the Monday meeting. But <laughs> we laugh and we have so much fun and, you know, we run out of time almost every Monday because- wow you know they they really actually enjoy each other's company and uh, you know we when we travel together you know we spend a, probably more time sometimes with our colleagues than with our family and mm-hmm. so, um you know i i think that their superpower is just taking care of one another and and having each other's back and and really really being that collaborative group internally and and you know of course with their teaming model but They definitely are the group of people that I I would say I'm most proud of.
0: I love that. And I feel like that's the perfect note to end on. So, Julie, last question for you. Where can people learn more about you and Children's Miracle Network Hospitals if they'd like to do that?
1: Well, they can go to cmnhospitals.org to learn more about our organization. They can look me up on LinkedIn. I am um, be happy to connect with anybody on LinkedIn. And then at Engage for Good, I'm excited, like we talked about earlier, to talk about point of sale fundraising. And so I'll be there the whole time. Um, grab me in the hall. Let's chat. You know, I, I'd be happy to get on the phone after last year's Engage for Good. I, I had a couple calls with different uh uh, folks that were there that just wanted to learn more about what we do, and and you know my boss Clark Sweat always says you know collaborating with other nonprofits is is the way of the future, and he he always tells us you know talk to those other nonprofits, get in these social groups, and really learn from one another. And so um, I'm I'm up for that if anybody else wants to.
0: I love it. Okay, well, we'll include all of that in the show notes, which you can find at engageforgood.com. Julie, thanks so much for joining me to share your story, to talk about your leadership journey, and share your advice with others. Thanks for having me. It's been fun. I always love talking to you, Allie.
1: The Engage for Good podcast is produced in partnership with True Story FM, engineering by Pete Wright. Music this week is by Simo and Rex Banner. If your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, we hope you'll consider doing just that for our show. But the best thing that you can do to support Engage for Good is simply to share the show with a friend or colleague. Thank you for listening.